This is Wayne Goldsmith, and welcome to Sports Thoughts. I've spent 25 years traveling the world, working with some of the world's best athletes, coaches, and teams, trying to discover what it is that they do, how they think, and what it takes to be the best in sport. Subscribe to our newsletter at wgcoaching.com to keep up to date with my thoughts on sport. Let's do this at a 20 to 8. Let's talk to our man, our international coaching expert, Wayne Goldsmith. Good morning, Wayne. Morning, Chris. How are you this very fine morning? Very, very well, thank you. And it is a fine morning over here in Perth. Expecting a few storms later on, but uh, right now it's absolutely glorious and all the better for talking to you, mate. So it's great to have you on board. How have you been? Yeah, mate, not too bad, not too bad. I've just got a, it's, it's weird, the life of a consultant that at the moment I'm doing a bit of work with rugby, a little bit with netball, a little bit with touch football, and a little bit with harness racing all at the same time. And I find that right. from day to day, you, you your brain sort of, you're sitting there and you're thinking about uh, football, and then you've got to answer an inquiry about a harness issue or something. It's, uh, it's interesting, exciting, but man, my brain feels like exploding sometimes. <laughs> harness racing. What's coaching got to do with harness racing? Oh, uh, well, mate, that's... Uh, Several years ago, I was speaking at the AFL National Coaches Conference, and in the audience was a steward from Racing Victoria, so from the Gallup. And the session was about leadership, and he came up and he said, oh, look, I'll listen to what you say about leadership teams and teams of leaders working cohesively under pressure to make decisions. And he said, I'm in Racing Victoria, I'm a steward, and he said, we've been talking about this sort of stuff for ages would you come and talk to the stewards at some stage? So developed a bit of a relationship with him, and he introduced me to a guy called Terry Bailey, who was the chief steward for Racing Victoria for a long, long time. It turns out Terry has a great passion for rugby league and a great passion for swimming and some other things, and him and I got on very well. And um, and was I got appointed, seriously, to be the coach of the Racing Victoria Integrity Team for about three years. And none of this was very well publicised at the time because of a whole bunch of reasons. But so I was going to race meetings. (laughs) No one would have believed it. But seriously, I was doing things like I was going to Metropolitan and I went to race meetings at uh, Swan Hill and Atuka and Ballarat and uh, Bendigo, bush meetings everywhere. I, I was up the tower. I was up the tower when Gay's Horse won the Melbourne Cup. I was up there standing next to Terry Bailey watching it from the home straight from the finishing tower. And believe it or not, that was part of my coaching job. And uh, But it was great because I got to coach the stewards, I got to coach the members of the integrity team on a whole range of things. And uh, I'm glad you asked the question because it's, it's still one of the best things that I've ever done because, for example, I'd go in the stewards' room, and including on Melbourne Cup Day, Cox Plate Day, all the big race days, I'd be in there and my job was not to have anything to do with wagering, gambling course. It's got nothing to do with me whatsoever. My job was to observe the way they worked as a team and the way they made decisions and the way they listened to each other. And Because in the end, their job is to make the right decision very fast, super accurate because so much at stake. So I'd sit there and just watch and take notes and then at the end of the day, after the last and after everything had been finalised from a racing perspective, we'd then do a debrief on how I saw them 
in terms of their leadership, their decision-making, their cohesion, their discussion with each other. And, it was, look, it was fascinating. It was great. And like I said, uh, I've spoken and written very, very little of it. But in terms of harness racing, it's, just, it's grown from there. I think uh, it's known some other people throughout the industry, and I'm doing a similar job in the harness industry. So coaching the members of the integrity team is fantastic. I love it. It's a, it's a great gig to have. Wayne, there's, there's such a relationship between what a philosophy of a coach in sport would have that can relate to business, but, you know, one, the team first about people having different roles and maybe your role at the time, you know, is not what you think it is, but for the group to go forward, it, it is so important. So there is a, a massive relationship between the two that people could take note of. It's, it's, uh, it's just funny, Wayne, that, that, for example, I was at a race meeting very, very early on and one of the young stewards, uh, and what I'd do on a race day, I'd usually rotate. So sometimes I'd be over with the starters, sometimes I'd be up with the vets, sometimes in the the decision-making room, sometimes with Chief Steward, all that sort of, a whole range of different things. But I, I remember we were in a, a, a moment where we were making a decision about something. There was a lot of discussion, a lot of debate. And when we walked out of the room and I was in the car driving over to the tower in the back straight, the younger steward said, oh, I should have said that. I really feel strongly about that. I didn't speak up, and I said, and I said, man, why the hell didn't you speak up? He said, oh, well, it's not really my place. And so that then became a topic that if you're genuinely a team of leaders and you honestly respect and value the input of everybody because it makes the decision process more robust and more powerful, you can't have a hierarchical group. You've got to have a group that is open to, listens to, respects the opinions of everybody, regardless of their experience or background. And so I mean, that, that became a theme for a few months. We talked about how do we make better decisions by embracing and listening to the younger members of the team and not just relying on seniority hierarchy. Now, you extend that in a business. So many businesses have got their inner group of the senior execs, the CFO, the COO, the CEO, and they all make their decisions and some of those brilliant young people in their early 20s have just come out of uni with a, uh, such energy and passion, they don't always get listened to or respected, but they could be just the thing the organisation needs. So, mate, you're exactly right, there's a lot of crossover, and uh, the fact that it's a racing industry or BHP doesn't make any difference, it's still people who have to perform in teams under pressure. Wayne Goldsmith, international coaching expert, joining us this morning. Wayne, we were mentioning it a little bit earlier on uh, about the the money in the AFL at the moment. We saw the uh, competition as a whole or the governing body get a, what, $50 million profit over the last year. Some other clubs have lost a bit of coin. We saw the Dockers, uh, especially from a local point of view, have lost around $1.7 million. And we'll try to come to terms as to why this has happened and, I guess, how they can turn things around, come up with a few different theories. Some of the listeners got involved. What's your take on it all? Well, times have changed and the the market, the sporting market, has changed quickly and rapidly and extremely. And, and I think a lot of clubs, even the, the professional clubs and the football codes, they've been caught short a little bit because that what I'm seeing is if they see their bottom line fall, they seem to have a very limited grab bag of tools. So they'll do a theme day or they'll offer half-price tickets to kids or they'll try and sell season tickets at a discounted rate or they'll change 
the, the marketing in some way. And I, I, I just don't know that clubs uh, of any level are, are quite across now what the public is looking for, their sports experience. And, you know, if you look at what's happening in even the Big Bash, and, you know, that, that first season of the Big Bash, the numbers are incredible, the TV was all over it. And there's been reports in uh, Fox Sports News, City Morning Herald and other newspapers that even the Big Bash has seen an average of 6% decline in television audiences and, and numbers at the gate. Now, the Big Bash is exciting, it's short, it's interesting, the players are mic'd up. But you would look at that and say, well, this thing couldn't fail. This thing couldn't possibly be too far removed from what people are looking for at this moment in time. But... They're showing a decline. And you know, once again, I just don't know that clubs are moving quickly enough or listening to their clients closely enough and adapting and being very agile is a word they use in business. I don't know. Was one of the things, Chris, the other day, someone asked me to help them put in place a five-year strategic plan for national sports. And I said, guys, we're at the stage, I think you've got to have a one-year strategic plan. You've got to have a five-year vision for where you want to go. But the, the days of having three, four, five, ten years strategic plans, I think that's over mm. because of the the rapid change in the needs and the appetites of the sporting public. And, uh, you know, we're seeing that everywhere. Is there a need for a rapid change in assessing what happened with the BBL and the numbers that they've lost and, and are changes needed necessarily? I think there is, Wayne, to be honest. If I saw a business decline 6% in one year, there could be seasonal factors, could be one-off factors, could be a downturn for some other reason. You see that over two years, you get really panicky. Three years, uh, an average of 6% fall, so you're getting close to a 20% decline over a three-year period. I'd say you're not far off off panic mode. One of the things that surprised me, and I don't know who, who is responsible, I can't remember the quote, but somebody is alleged to have said from Cricket Australia that the reason that the numbers are falling was because of the bushfire crisis. <laughs> I've got to tell you, I think that may have contributed in some small amount for a two-week period, and that may have explained people not actually going to games because of the smoke. But if you were seeing a decline of 6% on average this year, while people are still sitting at home in air conditioning in front of television, I don't know that that was a... Uh, uh, a completely accurate assessment of what may be happening, but yeah, they've they've got to look very closely and very carefully at that. That's a that's a significant decline, mate. I I think if you got any product that declines one two percent per year, you, you can make some adjustments to cost, and you can make some adjustments here and there, and make up around twenty percent over three years. You're starting your public is starting to say this just isn't a product that we want to engage with. Wayne, um, I'm back doing a little bit of coaching and one of the best things I've done this year is introduced um, some, a group about mental health to our players and we've had a couple of sessions on that. We're seeing it become more prevalent at Premier League and, and professional football and, and, and everywhere. Um, what, what can parents take out of this and coaches? You know, how important is it or you know, how far do we go down with this? All the way, all the way. I'm a big fan. I make congratulations for getting back into coaching, or sympathies, or condolences, depending on <laughs> on how it's working out. But look, I, the, the everything you do physically—walk up a flight of stairs, run a lap, 
pick up about everything you do physically has a mental component. Mind and body are connected. I mean, this is a really new concept that was only first written about 3000 BC um, by the, the Greeks. I mean, it was this, this concept of mind and body integration uh, it is nothing new. But for some reason, we've all been so focused on skills and physical development and fitness and strength and all those easy to see tangible things that are easy to identify and the things like how athletes feel and, and their um, the way they're feeling, their confidence, looking at their body language you know, and then even things that, that that coaches can do simply as, you know, 11, 12-year-old kid walks in, doesn't look very happy, dragging their feet. Simple question, get out, mate, how are you going? How was school? How's school going? I know you've had exams this week. How have they gone? Just to show that we look at athletes not as football players or cricketers or netballers. We look at them as human beings who just happen to come along and share a little bit of their time with us if we, and that we care about them holistically. You know, that wonderful, wonderful phrase in coaching, kids don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Our primary goal is to make them feel loved and valued and accepted and listened to and very much part of what we're doing as a group and that we care about them as human beings, not just as kickers and strikers and uh, hitters and all those things. We care about them as human beings, as kids, and we want to support them as much as we possibly can in every element of their life. Wayne, very interesting stuff. Love your work as always, mate. Really appreciate you jumping on Sports Breakfast on this Wednesday morning. Absolute pleasure. Now back to the Anzac Picky and Cup of Tea. <laughs> Lovely. Good on you, mate. Enjoy it. Wayne Goldsmith, the international coaching expert, joining us this morning here on Sports Breakfast. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear more sports thoughts, subscribe to our newsletter at wgcoaching.com.